You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A Sitka chef is one of four Alaskan semifinalists for the prestigious James Beard Award. Renee Trafton opened Beak in 2017 and has made the best of her unique situation, creating award-winning cuisine on an island with some amazing benefits and many practical challenges. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. When I meet Renee Trafton on a Monday, it's a day off at Beak, so the restaurant is empty and we have our choice to sit at one of a handful of mismatched tables. She chooses a black and white striped rectangular table in the corner of her restaurant, next to a hundred-year-old wooden piano. She says table eight is where most people sit if they have a choice, next to the window where there's a slight view of the water. One of the times Mary Peltola came in, she sat right here. What did Mary Peltola order? Uh, she got the cod tips. Okay. Um, it was her second time coming in. The first time she got them with her daughter, and I don't usually serve them at lunch, but uh, she asked, and I had them, so. She opened Beak six years ago, just before the start of the summer season. It was such a, like, tenuous-seeming endeavor, and many people, like, try to open restaurants, and they fail, and um, I've just been working really hard and to get this type of national recognition is is unbelievably amazing. Trafton started cooking for friends at Oberlin College. She was a dinner cook there for two years. When she graduated, she considered culinary school, but it was expensive, so she decided to get some experience first, just to get a taste of the profession. She moved to New York and ended up working for a couple of Michelin star restaurants. And it was uh, a really formative experience. It was really exciting to learn about fine dining and all the the many, many rules of it and sort of the, uh, the focus that the chefs out there have. And I think I've definitely taken that focus um, and trained it on the ingredients I have like available to me here. Trafton says in the last six years in her own place, her culinary voice has strengthened and she's learned to adapt to the challenges of operating a restaurant on an island in southeast Alaska. In New York City, you can call at 10 o'clock at night and at like 8 o'clock in the, the morning you have whatever produce uh, you want. And here it's a week out. So when I was designing my menu from the beginning, I would pick things that I think would survive the barge journey up here. So like, you know, potatoes, carrots, onions, uh, kale, kind of the hardier, the hardier items. While she can't get all of her produce locally, she has access to the freshest fish imaginable and her menu centers around it. Over the years, she's been able to cultivate relationships with fishermen. She can have 1,500 pounds of salmon, halibut, black cod, and even gooseneck barnacles in cold storage, and knows exactly who caught every pound and where it came from. With that, she's able to take barge potatoes and kale to new heights. I can really transform them from something that's, you know, something you just buy at the grocery store, it's, you know, not that exciting, but with, with like technique and time and a lot of effort, the transformation from like the raw food to like dinner is for me it's always been like a magical transformation um and i think that that's what makes speak really special is how much thoughtfulness we put into our food here so who inspires her in the kitchen trafton names a few chefs some she's worked for and some she hasn't and renee redzepi comes to mind he's the chef at noma in copenhagen which is considered the world's best restaurant by many but he does he did a lot of like hyper local things in Denmark, and that's not the most stereotypically bountiful area. Mm-hmm. But the idea of sort of of thriving within your confines of like be, finding inspiration in like what you have, I've also felt like a lot of inspiration with that. 
Red Zeppi made headlines a few weeks ago when he announced that Noma would soon close its doors. He said fine dining is unsustainable in its current form. And in pop culture, movies like The Menu and the hit TV show The Bear reveal a darker side of the industry. Perhaps it's not a coincidence that the James Beard Foundation this year is looking for chefs that set high standards with their culinary skill, who also contribute positively to their communities and make efforts to help create a sustainable work culture. That was Trafton's goal from the beginning. Beak is gratuity-free, and it was always important to her to make sure there wasn't pay disparity between servers and kitchen staff. She says she's always tried to hone a culture of respect and positivity in her kitchen, and music helps too. It just kind of lightens the mood because you, you know you got a zillion things to do and the orders are coming in, everything's happening. But if you're if you're singing along to the radio, it kind of like it makes the team feel more united and uh, lighthearted, so you don't get bogged down. It keeps the vibe energetic and happy instead of frustrated. Yeah, being upbeat is like super important for me, um, and I think that is not uh, generally the case in kitchens. Um, but this is my kitchen, so I want to be happy. (laughs) As for the future of Beak, Trafton is excited to be busier than ever following the announcement from the James Beard Foundation. But she says her goal isn't to turn a lot of tables. She just wants to have people over for dinner and make them food with thought and care. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Renee Trafton is one of 20 semifinalists from the Northwest and Pacific region for the award. In late March, the James Beard Foundation will announce the top five nominees from each category. The Juneau Assembly approved a list of tourism policy objectives on Tuesday. They outlined the city's goals for negotiating with cruise ship companies. The city's Visitor Industry Task Force met for several months right before the pandemic and issued a list of recommendations. Those recommendations inspired the five policy objectives approved on Tuesday. The objectives are to limit cruise ships to five per day in the downtown port, complete construction of the seawalk, increase the city's input and scheduling, electrify cruise ship docks, and develop goals for emissions and congestion mitigation. Juneau resident Steve Kroll told the Assembly that a five-ship limit isn't enough. We've got too many people in too small an area. The downtown hasn't gotten any bigger. The sidewalks aren't bigger. The roads aren't bigger. We're at the point where capacity really is the issue. Assemblymember Maria Gladyshevsky said they received several emails asking for a three or four ship limit. She said the city would likely face legal opposition if it tried to enforce such a cap. We could try. We would be in litigation immediately. It would take years. It would cost a lot of money. In fact, it's unclear at this point if the city would have any way to cap the number of cruise ships in town at all. Mayor Beth Weldon said negotiating with the tourism industry represents a new strategy for the city. Just a few years ago, it ended a contentious three-year lawsuit from the cruise industry over marine passenger fees. Some people will say it's not a big enough step. I would say at least a step. Also on Tuesday, the Juneau Assembly voted against appropriating $300,000 for cruise ship dock planning at the downtown subport. Norwegian Cruise Line donated the land to the Huna Totem Corporation, which hopes to build a visitor center and cruise ship dock there by 2025. A federal court of appeals has affirmed Metlakatla tribal members' right to fish in their traditional waters without state permits. But a new opinion issued Tuesday by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals leaves open the question of where exactly those traditional fishing grounds are located. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. Metlakatla Mayor Albert Smith welcomed the news. First of all, woo! 
it's, it's something that we, uh, we've been fighting for a long time. So we are extremely pleased to know that the Ninth Circuit so strongly supported our fishing rights. Metlakatla's tribal government sued Governor Mike Dunleavy and other state officials in 2020. The tribe asserted that the 1891 federal law that created the Annette Islands Reserve, the only reservation in Alaska, guaranteed the tribe fishing rights throughout much of the southern panhandle. Congress passed the 19th century law after members of the tribe relocated from their previous home in Metlakatla, British Columbia, at the invitation of President Grover Cleveland. Senior U.S. District Court Judge John Sedwick rejected the tribe's claim and dismissed the case the following year. Metlakatla appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled in favor of the tribe last year in a 28-page decision. The opinion said that Congress guaranteed Metlakatla's tribal members the right to fish in their traditional waters despite the state's limited entry program, which limits the number of vessels targeting particular species of fish. The Ninth Circuit's three-judge panel initially ruled that Metlakatla tribal members had the right to fish in Districts 1 and 2, as laid out by the State Department of Fish and Game. Those encompass areas around Ketchikan's Revilla Gagato Island and the southeastern shore of Prince of Wales Island. Smith, Metlakatla's mayor, says the tribe has records of its members bringing back fish from as far as the Aleutian chain, but he acknowledges that the tribe's fishermen largely harvested from waters within a day's travel of the reserve at the southeastern tip of the state. Time of Memorial, we've been fishing uh, uh, all of those districts one and two, all the way down to you know the border. But the new opinion notes that the state of Alaska disputes the extent of the tribe's historical fishing grounds. It'll be up to the lower court to determine just how far the tribe's fishermen should be allowed to go. In its new order, the court also denied a request from the state of Alaska to reconsider its decision or put it before a larger Ninth Circuit panel. Alaska Department of Law spokesperson Patty Sullivan said in a statement that the Ninth Circuit panel, quote, continues to fundamentally misunderstand the history and legal framework in this case. She said the court should have sent the case back to the lower court for further arguments on the scope of the 1891 law. Sullivan said the state is reviewing the opinion and considering its next steps. Smith says Metlakantla is excited to continue with the case. But we are ready for the next phase of this case and look forward to finally and permanently restoring our community's fishing rights. The court's decision would allow tribal members to fish, quote, for personal consumption and ceremonial purposes, as well as for commercial purposes. But details of how the decision might be implemented once the case concludes remain unclear. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Taking a look at the community calendar. The deadline for girls in third through fifth grade to register for Girls on the Run is Monday, February 13th. The after-school program inspires participants to be joyful, healthy, and confident while training for a 5K community fun run. Registration forms can be found at Keith Gushaheen Elementary School office. Contact Katie at 907-747-3493 for more information. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.